Movement Rio Media presents A Few Good Physios with Dr. Eric Munoz and Dr. Leonidas Scantolides. You can't handle the truth. What is physical therapy? More research. More research. True therapeutic effect. Join us each week as we discuss current trends in medicine, rehabilitation, and strength and conditioning. The answers are out there. All content is a collaboration between On Point Sports Care and Integrated PT Squared. A Few Good Physios is not medical advice and is used for educational purposes only. If you are having pain and or health-related complaints, please seek out a licensed healthcare professional. Thank you for downloading. Enjoy. All right, welcome back. Episode 10. 10. A few good physios. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a parrot. We, uh-huh. st- <laughs> we still don't believe that we've done 10 already. It's crazy. That's wild. That's uh, a crazy number. We have enough to talk about, I guess. I <laughs> <laughs> running out. Running out right now. Uh-huh. So today, uh, it was interesting when we were discussing the topic for today. It was uh, we were, we Definitely we'll do more clinical commentaries. We'll have more guests but this is this will be an ongoing thing in terms of what we see as trends in our industry, especially the fitness industry, things that we hear, things that we read, um, and we'll just keep going on about it. Yes. <clears throat> uh, did you put your thing in airplane mode? Nope. I want <laughs> the plane to come down. No, no, hold on a sec. Airplane mode is on. All right. No interference. Um, so interesting fa- trends in strength training uh definitely we've talked about it before we saw or you know we both taken andrew spina's frc course mobility specialist he's definitely involving himself into the athletic world you see more and more of his trainers working with ufc fighters tennis players professional soccer players all that another big trend i'm seeing is um this huge emphasis on strength training Organized, like, really good strength training, not just, like, general bench press, squat, deadlifts. We're talking about, like, more advanced strength training. The, one, the account or the person I can think that immediately comes to mind, uh, his account is named Speed of Sport, and his name is Nick Curson. He really uh, emphasizes a lot of uh, complexity drills. It's similar to, in my mind, it's similar to Ido Portel. Okay, so uh, getting in the natural primal movements in primal. with strength, strength training. training. Exactly, yeah. And his main client is Rafael De, Sa- De Santos, I think. Um, and he he does a lot of advanced stuff with him, and he'll do um, all these drills that involve plyometrics, coordination, strength, and endurance all at the same time. And what does Rafael play, or what is he? Oh, he's a UFC fighter. Oh, gotcha. And uh, he's... He's really, really good, uh, and I, I believe he won his last couple matches. And he, he, when he is asked about his training, he, he attributes a lot of his skill training to his work with Nick Curson. Um, but it's really cool stuff to see. I love watching this stuff because it's taking it, – obviously, it's thinking outside the box when it comes to strength training and not going to extreme. Sometimes you'll see, quote, functional training go a little bit too far. I'll never forget this story. I think I don't know if it was from Mike Boyle or some from somebody else during a seminar, but they were describing what this individual, this trainer, was doing to help train a downhill skier, 
And so it was like, all right, it started with you'd put the downhill skier on one of those wobble boards and have him do squats with weight. And then he'll start, have him do squats um, on the wobble board by tossing a medicine ball and like walking around in a circle and like making him kind of toss in different directions. And then he had him um, do like, you know, tossing balls while he's on the wobble board and doing squats, holding squats. And then somehow it progressed to the point where he put the wobble board on top of like one of those, it wasn't even a fitness thing back then because this was like over 15 years ago. It was like a um, thing that you you carry like stacks of paper on and you just roll down like a oh, office. Like a dolly. Like, like a dolly. dolly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like a dolly with a handle. And so he put the wobble board on top of the dolly, had the, the client on top of the wobble board, had him squat and just make sure. And then he just pushed him down the hallway as fast as he could. Yeah, I, specificity. Yeah, he was just, I, I mean, it's funny to me, but obviously what his intent was trying to mimic the stresses that he'll feel going downhill skiing sure but sometimes that could be a little overboard but like, you could still stay within the realm of like intelligent training without going too crazy like that no i think uh the specific i remember way back when the whole idea of specificity and when training for sports um but i think it, it definitely has taken a turn anybody <clears throat> anybody that's trained with me let's say i don't know 15 to 17 years ago mm. i was um i was Unfortunately, I used to have people do squats on BOSU balls and maybe even get a throw or two. Um, <laughs> and it's fun. It's more like train entertainment. You know, it's it's entertainment while you're training. So yeah. I, I don't know how much more benefit there would be. And I don't. I don't. I'm not sure about the studies on, you know, BOSU squats and even physio ball squats. That's another little party trick to do oh, a yeah. squat on the. That's like uh, Paul Check style. Yeah. So I mean, or even. Yeah, I mean, I still see this in Equinox, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, bicep curls on the BOSU mm -hmm. <laughs> or shoulder press. I mean, that's, you know, I, I guess that's cool if you um, you want to be kind of distracted. But in terms of training for a specific sport, um, I'm not sure if there's much carry over there. No. Um, same thing with, I mean, you know, the sp I guess strength training, as, as we just said, is just real keeping it, keeping it basic. Um, and then just working on your skill. Yeah. Um, well, that was, you no, know, what's interesting in the, um, again, I'm just referencing things I see in social media, but all the PT leaders out there, they're really against things like BOSU ball and even physio ball stuff in terms of balance, mm -hmm. only because it's again, trying to bring this complexity that doesn't really exist. If you just stick to simple movement and progress that movement, then that strength will be there for a carryover for sport and you work on skill. Do you remember um, our exercise physiology teacher? Yes. And he talked about name. this? I forgot his Figueroa. name. Figueroa. Yes, yes, yes. No. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we had this really cool exercise physiology teacher and he always, he would say some interesting things because his background was fascinating. But he, has, he had his PhD in exercise phys and he worked in a lot of labs. He worked with a lot of PTs apparently. And one thing that he said he would continually argue with one of the head PTs at the lab that he worked was that the, that PT in particular believed that the work that they were doing in rehab was going to improve their skill in sport, like, directly. And he was like, no. They, they improve their skill on the field or when they go train. and they train in the sport. And I, I totally agree with him, 100%. You, in, the, in the gym, you can work on 
the elements of training. So increasing strength, increasing power, increasing speed, power endurance, all those things. But a skill for the sport, like I'm not going to get a jiu-jitsu player to be better at doing a Kimura under a certain um, scenario because we did squats. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, or even shoulder presses, right, if you want right, to go right. more uh, specific. Like They're going to get better at the Kimura in that scenario when they drill that scenario underneath stress of resistance and things like that. So, Yeah, it's, it's, really pretty, it's pretty crazy how... Uh, <clears throat> In my, I mean, we, we're gonna. All things are gonna come back to jujitsu, I guess, mm. today. But, um, <laughs> but um, when I started out, I remember asking uh, Lee, "Hey, man, should I be? I got to get in better shape for this, or mm. should I be doing? What should I be doing?" And, and the answer was like, "You got to get on the mat more." And yeah. now that plays itself out, especially once you. I'm still a um, beginner. Um, <laughs> But the the idea, you know, initially I think strength. Uh, when you start jujitsu, you, you attempt to use strength, um, and I think strength plays it's a critical component. Mm-hmm. Uh, endurance, strength, power, speed. Um, but at the end of the day, as things progress, that becomes less of a, an element, I think, as opposed to position, grip, execution, and understanding. Now, uh, pound for pound, strength is always gonna strength. If if someone too skilled jiu-jitsu players uh comparable in in training i guess i guess strength and speed it will make a difference yeah um <clears throat> but uh but going back to uh specificity you know yeah i mean the only way to do a rear naked choke is a rear naked choke right? <laughs> right. bicep curls aren't going to help you with that no <laughs> and it was funny there's a saying that i hear in the locker room is like in the beginning you use strength over your skill because you don't know have any skill then you learn the skill, so then you, you use both. So then you use skill and strength. And so that I think that's what you're talking about is implementing that skill that in terms of proficiency, have the element of strength if you can, and you just keep doing that over, over again. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's I think the we're choosing jujitsu because it's fresh in our head, but also I think it's one of the most complex things I've experienced in sport and I've, kind of dabbled in Same, almost probably. every sport I'm like as a curl. high school yeah so it's like this is a great example of how would you relate the two in terms of uh, improving on that that um that sport now it, it is interesting i this is how i consider at least when i do strength training i'm always because right now this is my chosen sport and my chosen activity that i want i want to reduce my likelihood of injury so let's say um, I'm going to do a workout with kettlebells or pull-ups or whatever it is. I, I don't consider that carrying over to my skill of jiu-jitsu. I consider that increasing my body's tolerance to the stresses of that. You know, if I get placed in a position where my arm isn't compromised, my shoulder isn't compromised, my neck is in compromise, then I'm going to have less likelihood of getting injured and or I'll have the great ability to last longer to get out of that position or if I wanted to be on the other side of it, on the attack, I can um, have a little bit more advantage if I'm working on the mobility of my hips, um, my ability to to hold my knee in really tight into my stomach. I can do that a lot easier. My knees can tolerate the position 
uh, of sliding into Psychotrol or something like that a little easier. So that's how I look at it. I don't look at it like it's going to have a direct carryover. Now, there are drills that you could see online that like professional jiu-jitsu players do that will improve the skill because they're actually doing that skill on the drill. Right. Um, if you look at like JT Torres' Instagram, his studio, uh, Essential Jiu-Jitsu or Essential BJJ out, I think it's in upstate New York. And they do a lot of, they seem to do a lot of um, active endurance drills to get the uh, nervous system adapted to getting used to, let's say, doing a pass or um, even the Mendez brothers. I don't know if you follow the Mendez brothers. I don't follow, but I've heard of them. Oh, man. They, they they seem to do a lot of drills, too, especially just kind of hanging out, bent, bent forward. I mean, it would probably give every physical therapist a heart attack to watch these drills because every person. Herniations <laughs> yeah. all day. But it's not it's not doing that, as we know. It's like it's just the stress of the movement. Um, but it's interesting. I, I hope. You know, yeah, the bending, lifting, twisting is basically jujitsu in a nutshell, right? Mm-hmm. You're bending, lifting, and twisting all, all the, time. the time. But uh, it, it's it's wild to, to <clears throat> oh, in terms of um, we're talking jujitsu now, but I would say in terms of complexity, you know, the predictability on jujitsu is nil. I mean, you you are going to be you you could. You could bank on X, Y, and Z positions you're going to be in, mm-hmm. but uh, the permutations of those are infinite, right? You, yeah. This kind, this never. I mean, we do gravitate, and I'm trying to break my, uh, break my line. We do gravitate to very similar movement patterns, which are very predictable to to your training partner. Uh, <laughs> um, but I would, yeah, it, it's a little different from let's say a run. Uh, where let's say you have, I don't know, maybe you run on the treadmill. Maybe you run on the same path. Um, you know, it, it's somewhat predictable mm-hmm. um, in, in that obviously the body's constantly in flux and no day is the same. Chemically, emotionally, whatever you, you name it, we're, we're in a constant state of flux. Mm. The cool thing is is that with training or with, with control, I mean, with strength training in general, there is um, a consistency, and that's the whole idea, right? I mean, with some current fitness trends, there's this um, – people get bored. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, doing the same thing for six weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, whatever protocol you're following, for some people, especially of a younger generation, um, mm-hmm. it, it could get boring. But um, the nervous system enjoys that repetition and right. adapts to that repetition. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a little, you know, depending on your sport, depending on the complexity of your sport, I feel like in jiu-jitsu, with the complexity of movement, the, there's almost more benefit to training jiu-jitsu, being on the mat. Obviously, mm-hmm. as you said, we want to have some additional training, and I think we'll get into that later in the podcast, mm-hmm. but um, strength training will improve performance if, if placed in the right place. That's my, uh, my line. Yeah. Absolutely, and then um, it's it's funny talking about the simplicity of it. There's a well-known kettlebell instructor that I follow on Instagram, and he he posted about this because I think a lot of people were commenting on his post. He is he is a strict kettlebell uh, practitioner, so he always posts uh, him doing very heavy get-ups, swing workouts. Uh, he goes over form for a kettlebell stuff like that, and somebody posted. Is this all you do? Is all you do is kettlebells? And he goes, 
Absolutely, and that's why I'm able to do all these things and stay healthy. And he's an older guy, and I and I agree with it too. The, the simplicity of allowing the nervous system to adapt to a movement and then progressively build over build on it over time, and then going back to it and trying to build other skills around it too. That's what's going to build progress, and that that's what a lot of individuals who don't have the insight on this stuff they they can get a little impatient and that's why they stop it's because either the results don't come as quick as they want or they're bored um but understanding that this is how the nervous system works this is how our bodies works then you would stick to it you would keep going yeah and even even if to you know we're, we're definitely not the absolute guys even if we don't fully understand the nervous system, hormonal function. We do have, I think, enough data. A lot of the data's come, I would say, comes out of Russia, mm-hmm. and they have uh, they have a lot of data. Mm-hmm, they do <laughs> uh, uh, from because you know they had these. Uh, I'm botching this up, and I'm, mm. um, some of this info might not be exactly correct. But from my understanding, if someone has uh, athletic potential. Uh, typically, they're put into a program of some sort at a fairly young age. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, you know, kind of in a camp to some extent, a training mm-hmm. camp. And, um, you know, the, the people that run the show here, I think they, they're taking, they have taken data over the course of decades. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, they understand they understand enough to how to get someone strong, yes. uh, faster, stronger. Mm-hmm. Um so it, it's interesting. I don't know why I'm, I brought up Russia, but um, I was listening to another You just wanted podcast. to talk about Russia. I want to talk about Russia, man. <laughs> Meddling, no. Um, <laughs> I think um, there's a lot to learn. And look, Lee, Lee's talking about kettlebells. Where is that coming from? Mm-hmm. Russia. Russia, for sure. So um, definitely have, uh, they, they have some knowledge over there. And it's luckily spilling over here. And it's, it's, it's kind of pervasive in a lot of different realms right now, whether it's jujitsu, whether it's other grappling sports, uh, other martial arts, but kettle, I would say, kettle, what other sports would you say kettlebells have kind of seeped into? It's really weird. They, they almost everything. Uh, there were cyclists um, doing kettlebell training or at least emphasizing kettlebell training for a while because they were trying to, you know, with cycling, it's all about, not all about, it's a lot to do about incre- increasing your power, so increasing your watts. Um I am nowhere near cycling. Uh, I'm not even say expert. I'm not even close to that. I'm, I've cycled for like a year, and I've read a couple about it. And, and I studied kinesiology in undergrad, and um, that was it. But uh, you know, when I speak about it, I'm sorry if I'm you know butchering anything. But yeah, cycling. It, the, if uh, let's say, uh, oh, did you ever see the documentary? Um, about the doping. No, it's uh, it's on Netflix. Totally having a brain fart. Um, yeah. Anyways, the, the he would, the the director was a cyclist. He was on Joe Rogan recently, and he the the actual documentary was so fascinating because it was filmed at the exact time that the guy he hired in Russia was under investigation for doping. And then everything went out of whack. He's still missing, by the way, that guy in Russia. Like he, he, he he's safe apparently, but he's not in the public, the public eye anymore. Guy. Yeah. Right. Um, oh man, I totally. Anyway, the name of that. No, I, it's funny because Rogan brought. I don't know who I and heard. Who Rogan, I thought, had another cyclist, and he was talking about how pervasive 
the doping was, right? And and yeah. how uh, if everybody was doing, they were talking about the ethics of doping and does that make a difference? And but it's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, cycling is a perfect example. You know, how, how would one improve their power? Yeah. So right. So with cycling, they wanted to. Um, Improve the power, so they would do things like Icarus. Icarus, there we. Go. I, I, <laughs> I had to Google seen, it; it didn't come I, to me. I definitely <laughs> saw. I've seen that on that. Oh, I didn't see it. I've seen. The, Highly recommend yeah, it. You so. gotta watch it. It's crazy. So the uh, the guy. The reason why I bring hit this up because you, you we follow him during the documentary. So this guy's like, listen, he he already he races. It seems like semi professionally or a little bit more than amateur. And he also is a movie producer, from my understanding. So he wanted to uh, see if doping would really improve his times and get him better at cycling. And so he first went to the United States expert in anti-doping and um, exercise physiology, stuff like that. And then that guy recommended this guy in Russia. And there was no reason why. We just assumed that he was really good at it. But what turned out is that this guy, in conjunction with another group uh, in Russia, was um, helping the Russian athletes dope and also do steroids during the Olympics. And it was this crazy method of how they did it and stuff like that. And so then um, Putin, of course, denied everything. But this guy said it was ordered by Putin to do this and all this. Anyways, so during during following this guy... Uh, we learn a little bit about what cycling requires. So it, it's monitoring your your wattage, it's monitoring your your distances, your time, stuff like that. So something like kettlebell training would absolutely improve your power. Now it's super important to understand this. this is my also my pet peeve. I got to throw in rants here and there, but <laughs> like <laughs> um, I, I it really frustrates me when I hear physical therapists use words like strength and power improperly. Like they'll have someone on a a Pilates reformer machine and they're explaining how this will improve their power in their <sighs> legs. And I'm just like, do you even know what power is? I mean, that was the most laying down with a spring. Huh? Laying down with a spring, getting the tummy tuck, <laughs> and having their feet splayed out, and have their toes up, and they're working on the breathing. That's not going to improve your power. Do you even know what power is? So it, 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 that's that's, <laughs> that's what I that's what bothers me. It bothers me so much because this no, is where we get true. we we start to separate ourselves in a bad way from the strength and conditioning world. That's where the strength and conditioning world has a one up on us. I highly ten up. a ten up, yeah. Like it, this is, it, it's it's very it's such an easy thing. That's why it frustrates me. It, it's not yeah. like a mysterious like Harry Potter magical. No, sp- it's it's really <laughs> again document. Go check some Russian textbooks. It's That's all there. Right. No, I I think um, I even one <clears throat> client. I mean, this is um, this is something. It's not a. It's definitely something I kind of correct patients on. I was like, all right, you know, I, I gave them X, Y, and Z exercises. Let's say it's a first-time patient, mm-hmm. and I gave them some mobility of their hip, maybe a little hip activator, a glute medius, medius exercise of some sort, and maybe a balance. And they all say, wow, oh, so this is going to strengthen my hip. I'm like, no, no. This is just to kind of turn things turn on, turn things on act, facilitate, activate, whatever kind of lingo you want to use. Mm-hmm. I, I would think of it as, um, yeah, turn things on, optimize the hips function, maybe just use a different pathway mm-hmm. in, in, in the way they're kind of firing certain things. Um, 
But I stopped them short of saying strength. I was like, oh, I was like, well, this is this is step one. You know, right. you need to do, you need to exert yourself. I'm right. not going to do, uh, you know, the same thing we've heard hear therapists saying, well, we'll do these rotator cuff exercises to strengthen your rotator cuff. Not really. Mm, no. you know, it's not a strength thing. It's a neuromuscular control thing. And, right. Um, so, yeah, stop stop using those words, guys. Uh, and, and, <laughs> or at least understand it. And understand what you, yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, light years away, because if you yeah. took a, a strength and conditioning coach that, had, that worked, let's say, in a college team, and you took a seasoned therapist of five to ten years, mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy that someone with a doctoral degree doesn't know how to squat. Yeah, um, that's the other thing uh, too. I'm going on a rant now. No, that's, <laughs> that's what we're doing. <laughs> well, he likes it. <laughs> Tell me more. No, but um, it, it's um, you know, for for the therapist, you know, people who are listening to this, um, it's really important to get yourself well versed before you know, well versed in uh, different domains and the education that we received, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, had huge pockets of uh, gaps of information. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it was misinformation, I, I would say, and some of it was just gaps. And it's it's not um, purposeful, but um, seek and you should find. It's out there. And it was interesting uh, talking about institutional education. That guy, I keep talking about the physical therapist. I really like Zach Gabor, uh, who does a lot of the pain science stuff on Instagram. And has been combining with other people. He uh, had two contacts who were either just graduating from a school in Massachusetts or are still in school. I can't remember. So he influenced these two individuals to um, write up a clear reason why their program needs a strict strength and conditioning elective. Because that's all they could really work with, an elective versus a true class. And so they got enough signatures or they at least worked on like a, a huge introductory part of the, the class, I guess. Mm. And then they requested that Zach would teach it because he kind of has this experience already. He He's starting to lead the field a little bit. And the school accepted it. And so he was going to oh. teach it um, the following summer or something like that. But that there's there's a trend happening now where – Schools are offering these electives, and it's different from exercise phys. It's more of like what we're talking about. Teach your patient how to be able to squat with weight. Teach them about how to do a power clean. Teach them how to do a snatch. Kettlebell exercises, educate them on that. And I think this is great. This is the first step in in educating people and in these things that we're talking about. Right. And and I would, you know, obviously just looking at, let's say, my patient population, Mm. There's some guy, you know, some finance guys that they, they really don't want to do a power clean. They right. might not want to do a snatch. That's fine. They're gonna need a squat. Mm-hmm. They're gonna. I mean, if they if they spend three to five, six hours in the gym, two hours in the gym, it, it's probably worth their while to to make the mo- most of their time. Right. And that's another thing that you know uh, we should be talking about is really um, efficiency of work i mean it's great that the trend of fitness has grown i think more people are probably exercising than ever i would assume even though that america is uh really in a bad place in the fitness level uh <laughs> but I, I guess with with taint you know we're tainted here in new york city because everybody kind of has their own little thing right but um it's great that everybody's working out but if you were doing five or six hours uh 
on the elliptical or the bike or whatever, whatever, you know, bicep curls. Mm. That's fine. Um, but just ask, you know, I, there is a, a, there could be a more efficient way. And, I, and I'm talking to the general population. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's crazy. Um, you may not want to do a power cleaner snatch, but they're definitely more efficient, uh, efficient movement practices out there that really would probably cut your time in half, mm-hmm. maybe a little less than that, and just improve your, your overall health. makeup. Yeah, yeah, health, you know, as opposed to, you know, you got, you know, time is limited for us all, so it really would be, uh, <laughs> we're all dying. No, no, no. <laughs> time is limited, so why not make the most of it? Um, True. Don't waste time. Yeah, I, mean, I I see it as that. I totally agree. And then I see the consequence of not knowing this information I'm going to rant a little bit again, (laughs) Um, only because I'm surrounded by this too. But the consequence of, let's say, someone like a clinician not either engaging in it or not knowing about it is fear. The consequence always of ignorance will, not always, but most of the time will be fear. And that is what, that is, we've talked about it so many times on the uh, previous podcast, kinesiophobia, uh, fear of movement is such a leader in contributing to injury and pain and also uh, health issues. It, it's going to prevent you from engaging in exercise. So why would a clinician engage in that themselves and, and also pass that on? They've done research on this already, and, and, and I have – I could put it on, quote, our show notes, but um, there's – the more fearful the clinician is about movement from themselves, they've directly passed. And it makes sense that they're going to be biased towards that. Right. They're going to pass it on. And I hear it every day. And one example I heard just yesterday was this guy, this very seasoned physical therapist, was talking to a patient about another patient, which I don't like. And it was just out of the blue. It wasn't. It was like, hello, do you want to hear something crazy? And I was like, what the hell is he going to talk about? And, then, <laughs> and he goes, because apparently he had this relationship with this patient. He's like, I saw this 22-year-old. And, God, they, they told me how much they warm up with when they deadlift. And, and the guy's like, how much was he warming up with? And he was like, 275. And I was like. He's 22 years old. So what? Maybe that's his warm-up. Maybe his max is 405. Like, right. yeah. see, perspective. And he, and he gets what he did with that 22-year-old. He probably put the fear of God in him. Oh, You're what are you doing? with disc. Yo, that's terrible. You shouldn't be warming up that heavy. Like, da, da, da. Oh, I was, I, I just, that kind of stuff, that, that's a huge consequence. Because, number one, what he's saying is a fallacy. It's, there's nothing that's going to show that for certain he's going to hurt, this person's going to hurt themselves at 22 years old. And doing just the weight, how's his form? Like, what was he doing before? Is, is he a college athlete? Is he a lift? Like you just said, is, it really depends. Yeah, uh, Granny is not going to lift. She's not going to be able to yeah. touch. She's not going to lift it off the floor. Fine, but yeah. that's but but it's all relative. And this guy's making blanket generalizations, and that's dangerous. That that to me, that's dangerous. That that ignorance, that fearfulness, that's dangerous. And that and mm-hmm. right. this. this uh, he doesn't take care of his health. Like the the and the, it's clear. Like you don't have to like study and take his blood. You can just look at him and he's like, listen, you gotta, you should be representing the movement and health of uh, people you're trying to to help out. So like that that doesn't help. Anyways, but uh, that that's a dangerous consequence of not knowing the inf- the basic information of movement, which also drives me nuts because our biggest strength is movement optimization and movement assessment 
And if they don't, if if the clinician doesn't engage in movement themselves, how the hell are they going to teach that? That's that's what bugs me too. Is like most of the physical therapists they'll take anything like they'll take one class of yoga and then be like, I'm a yoga teacher now. And I'm mm, not really no yeah. Pilates instructors. No, I think um, what you just said. I, I have an example. I was thinking of a patient that I saw yesterday, and she she had a um, a dislocation due to a fall, posterior dislocation, a labral tear. Basically, for those who are non-clinicians, uh, a woman fell, shoulder dislocated and relocated back on itself. She went to the hospital. She saw her surgeon. She actually had surgery on that shoulder mm. 10 years ago. Um, so she kind of felt like it was unstable. Doctor mm. confirmed that you know there was a labral tear. There was some multidirectional instability. He said, hey, you know, try physical therapy. <clears throat> Let's give it a few months. Mm-hmm. She did, still felt a little weird. I saw her maybe four or five months after the injury. We worked on what we worked on. Um, but she had this fear, right? Mm-hmm. So she was like, I don't know. I just, you know, I have, she, has two, she has two children, um, six and let's say nine. And she was like, yeah, I, I can't even pick up my six-year-old because I'm worried about my shoulder. I'm worried about... So I just heard the word worry, mm. and I told her, you know, after seeing her, I don't know, two or three times, she improved her stability. Um, she improved her ability to tolerate stress overhead. Um, she also was working with the trainer, uh, and I told her, the trainer asked, are squats okay? I said, go to, t- you know, let let her guide you. If she doesn't feel super comfortable, you know, just decrease the load. Anyway, general strengthening in conjunction with some targeted thoracic mobility, scapula stability, glenohumeral humeral stability. I saw her, I don't know, a month ago, and I said, hey, she said, I'm still a little guarded. I said, let it go. I said, um, mm-hmm. I said, don't, you know, obviously you don't. if you don't want to try anything new, that's fine, but day-to-day activities, just when you're thinking about your shoulder, a little un- uncertain of it, mm-hmm. just kind of reinforce yourself that you're, you, you've gotten stronger and more stable. And that's the truth. That's the, remember we were talking about like language. Yeah, yeah, language. She came back yesterday and I hadn't seen her in a month. Mm. And she was like, hey, you know, I did what you said and I let it go and it was pretty cool that after the first few days, Mm -hmm. I felt my shoulder a lot less. Mm. And I said, were there any incidents? Because she, you know, she traveled, you know, on and off for a month. She was, no, I had suitcases and, Sadly, she is scheduled for surgery in July because she feels that she wants to get rid of this apprehension. Uh, okay. Um, so, you know, I I, um, I support her decision. You know, that's her decision. That's her body. And um, she understands what the rehab pro- protocol is because she's been there. It's the same surgeon she had 10 years ago. And this, now, does she have surgery on that shoulder before? She, before. She did have surgery. She did? What did they she do? She had a labral tear. And then uh, labral repair, so and it was a little unstable. So they must have wound up the capsule a little, yeah, and maybe you know uh, pushed down the labrum and restitched it up or something. So I'm, they're gonna do another labral repair. Yeah, I think so. I believe so. Oh, that's tough. That is tough. Mm. You know, second time around. But um, I mean, the moral of this story was uh, the fear she had. I kind of you know this as therapist, I think um, versed in pain science and just. Beyond pain science, I mean, a little psychology, a little just um, consultation and just understanding. 
just a little support and telling her, hey, you, you don't have to worry as much. You know, if so, something can happen at any time. Sure. But let's, um, you know, catch yourself. Let's When you do, there's a little uh, cognitive CBT here. When you yeah. catch that thought process of, oh, my shoulder is unstable. Or, you know, she had a very clear description of, the structure that she she was like oh this must be the dent in my bone rubbing against the labrum yeah. and you know she didn't get that from anywhere right, 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 yeah she got that from someone I don't know who <laughs> <laughs> but um unknown but uh, and, and I and I I did understand from uh, the disposition of this patient that uh, challenging her on that belief would not work no and but that's I, uh, yeah you know you you know it's you have I to ca- pick it you have, you have to, to pick, pick it, it. Yeah. and I and I have been. For some of my old patients, you know, I think I've I've chosen the wrong time and I've chosen the wrong words and mm. I've challenged people's belief um, when the timing wasn't right. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm sorry we're going on a tangent. No, you, to, but it, but you can tangent all you want, man. Um, I was. I want to scream. Hold <laughs> on. <now. laughs> I, it reminded me of a tweet. Everyone's like, wow, all he does is social media? He's just on Instagram and Twitter? Yeah, that's all I do, guys. So I'm here and then social media, that's it. But um, the uh, Peter O'Sullivan, I'm a huge fan of him and I follow him on Twitter. And that guy fields, I don't know how many questions a day, but he is an animal because he's got a lot of followers and he answers every question. Wow. Uh, he works is, two hours a week. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Well, it's cool because I feel like He's the future of PT uh, teaching. Like if you get to a certain clinical level and certain experience, that's what you should be doing because of um, how taxing treating like a full schedule could be. So like you can go around and and work underneath the another teacher and learn how they do it and and teach their classes and then kind of answer questions for people who don't know as much for a younger physical therapist or patients, whatever. Anyway, so he was fielding a question. And what should you do, kind of in a situation you're talking about, if the time doesn't seem right to to talk to the patient about um, the logistics of pain science and, and their condition, their scenario, and or they're just not open to it. And some guy wrote some weird, I think he was a physical therapist, but he listed off options. And one of them was like, or you just threaten them. And and he was he wrote back, he's such like a, a very dry person. Oh, he's yeah. like, always inform never threatened <laughs> like I was, and i read it over and over again i was like am i reading this right like did he say threat like threaten them with what like when are you gonna Thre- threaten it, it's them? i hey i believe i've done it i haven't threat- I, guess, I've, I, I you know I've, I've told people the worst case like so i guess what that's if, what he what was talking about what if i i, I want to go run i want to well you're gonna tear your achilles right that's yeah. what's gonna happen man just i go. guess it, i guess if you tell them worst case scenario like that's what i would have wrote i wouldn't have threat like because that's it see obviously you lose but that's a, a horrible lot of word this is this is right up to pain science <laughs> you know the choice that when you hear threat you think bodily harm, right? Like, you know? what do you mean threat? Like, to, like you gonna, you're gonna, I'm gonna hurt you. If I'm you, gonna <laughs> choke you if you keep running. You got to stop running. This is BS. Either that, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get drop you. I'm not gonna treat you anymore. <laughs> I'm gonna drop you. I'm gonna fire you. I, I know physical therapists who are doing that. Oh now, man! Awful. But um, no, it, it it does. I think it's. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. No, no, no. I don't want to get into it. No, no. no. That's, that's a whole nother. That's a whole other topic. Uh, of wax. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's important. Like if if this is what we mentioned before, and when we were when we had Matt on the podcast, we discussed it a little bit. Where you play 
the um, the fear mongering a little bit if if it gets to the point where they're really looking for you to for advice and they they've kind of passed all these other doctors and they they're collecting the information you've already given the information and then you're just giving them real information that that was what came out with Matt was like you're not really threatening them you're just giving them you're informing them like the likelihood of you injuring yourself doing this is high the likelihood of you getting better after the surgery is low versus if you don't based on what we know for evidence or what the evidence is suggestion suggesting so that information should be passed on just as is, not like in an absolute manner. Right. It's so, it's the patient's choice, as I yeah. was just mentioning. You know, I mean. Exactly. You could bring them to the water, but you can't. You can't have them drink. Drink. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's it. it. So, and, don't ta- and not taking it personally is another thing where. Um, and that's hard for new grads. That's a hard thing because yeah. new grads. They no, just, they <laughs> uh, no, but it, it's um, it's tough because they have no frame of reference right. um, in terms of um, maybe the personality type, the injury type, the person's uh, will. I mean, those things obviously you can't. But with experience, you kind of figure out. Oh, this person, this person. You know, a lot of patients come to us to understand what their boundaries are. Right. And um, they're looking for, they want absolutes, unfortunately, and that we can't provide um, mm-hmm. at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain things that we could um, definitively help them with or tell them, that, hey, avoid this. No, it's probably not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Your shoulder's unstable yeah. to do handstands or to, mm-hmm. to, to get arm barred repeatedly. But um, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they come to us for boundaries. And I think that patient's a perfect example. If this is her choice, she's already gone through years of experience with her shoulder. She's collected the information. She understands the rehab process for the surgery. Then she made that choice. As You know, you shouldn't deter someone or make them feel bad for making that choice. They're already going to go through it. Again, just inform them of uh, what you can inform them of and then move forward. Yeah, she a perfect going back to this patient. You know, she gave it time. Mm-hmm. She collected her evidence. She saw a couple of doctors. Uh, she's been there before. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a reason in her head. And th- again, uh, it, th- it takes a seasoned clinician to say to see the resolve in someone and say, "Hey, this, this is something we're not going to touch." Yeah. Um, but I'll be there, f- hopefully, to help her out for the recovery process. Yeah. But um, back to strength. Strength. Uh, strength. Yeah. So, um. Let's see, trainers. Yeah, there are some trainers. You were mentioning in uh, trainers. Was it you said don't believe in, re- or did I write that? I think I did. Um, Resistant. What? 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 Oh, well, yeah. Oh. So there was. Um, there's actually some trainers, and the only reason why uh, I know of this is because, again, I'm listening to podcasts, Instagram, and Twitter, but there are <laughs> some. <laughs> 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 I'm just picturing Lee. When he leaves here, he's just going to have like three screens on. He's going to be like, Instagram. But he's just absorbing it all, man. This guy is like an encyclopedia, a social media encyclopedia. How, no, many, it's fo- crazy. how many followers does DeFranco have? DeFranco. No, no, no. no. <laughs> he was about to say 30,000 and 43,000. Look at that. But, there you go. Uh, Holy the, shit. That's crazy. The reason why, yeah. like, it, it's funny. If you had, if you had, if, if uh, people were listening to this, if you met me in 2014, I did not have any social media. No, account. he didn't. That's zero. No. I was very anti-social media. I'm, I'm there. I'm still there, but I I'm, will be converted. 
hopefully in the next week or two. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I created an Instagram account. I, I got started with that as from the influence of my friends and family. And then I started posting pictures, whatever. And now at this point, I'm using it because I'm finding it's such a, you know, with social media. And there was an article written about this on Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> which is ironic. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, social media, you have immediate access to all these people like I, I follow a lot of leaders in the PT field who will post about articles and or stories that interest them and they want to share. So they're usually, they're at this point in their careers, like I said about Peter O'Sullivan, they're just teaching and they're they're active on social media and they're up to date every day. They're just machines. Like Diane Jacobs, she reads so much. She's, she's always posting something regarding uh, neurobiology, neuroscience and it's really detailed. C- complex detailed stuff and I, I can't keep up with her but like I at least try to grab the more simple stuff um, but that's what I want to see I want to see what they're reading I want to see what they find interesting what they find helpful and if I can I try to pass it on as much as I can to patients pa- pass it on to um, other clinicians now of course the danger of that that massive influx of information you can't thoroughly go through each one so I do my best to, uh, at least for what these people say, because I do trust their expert level opinion. I do trust their clinical skills because most of the time I've already experienced what what they do as clinicians and things like that. Uh, but I do my best to thoroughly go through the ones that I can, at least the, the uh, free access ones. And then I do have some connections to get some of the articles. So, but that that's all that's really interesting to me. And I do uh, encourage most physical therapists to do this because there's so much research coming out every day. Every day there's a gigantic amount of research. You can subscribe to JOSPT, you can Gotta subscribe to that. the journals. Um, but you won't get the immediate up to date. You're going to get published articles, you're going to get the ones that have gone through about two or three years of peer review, vetting. public, yeah, all that vetting. And that's that's fine. It's just a little later. These guys sometimes are getting things before publications. That's what I like to see. I want to see like poster board. It hasn't even hit the journals yet. Um, so I find that fascinating. And, and I, you know what? Um, I would... I would just premise that with you saying not you, you mentioned something of not thoroughly vetting it, but the truth is, you know, I think all this information based on our backgrounds, you know, you could kind of pick and choose. We have um, a uh, safety zone where you're not going to be trying out a new e-stim to the eyeball technique, <laughs> you know, to to help with I don't know the ocular movements. Ocular movements. <laughs> yeah, I was like, let me just try. You know, we're not going to try anything that radical. So, I mean, right. within, you know, passing that information to a patient, the, the, the risk is relatively low. Right. But the benefit is very high because you're coming you're coming to the table with new and fresh information. And unfortunately, uh, as you practice, the more, you know, you get into a rhythm and life catches up, family, jujitsu, yeah, babies. You know, mm-hmm. you're less inclined to sit and sift through this written new research. That and, was the um, other thing too. Like I wanted to talk about. There are we've worked with these clinicians, and hats off to them. I call them analysts, analyst clinicians, because they thoroughly enjoy sitting down with a glass of wine and reading a research article. Uh, like I, I, 
yeah, I, I know who you're talking about, but, you know, but I, I, I'm not like that, and I know no, you're not like man. that. So no, like, no, I, I much. I like to get chill. my hands dirty and, yeah. and and to do and you know read and understand like what's out there, and then apply it, and then try to engage with my patients, and that's what I that's when I really learn is like when I I have to I get challenged obviously when a patient comes in and I have to navigate their own background of information with their injury, apply the information, and then see how the application works. If it doesn't work, go back to the drawing board. If it works, take note. Most important thing that Lee just said is understanding your patient's background. And this goes back to LB and Psych 101 where he, Mm. we we had a uh, business owner, mentor, and uh, Mm -hmm. that used to, um, had a, a skill that in three to five minutes, <laughs> I don't know, let's say 10 minutes, mm-hmm. he was able to tease out this person's <clears throat> uh, hometown, <laughs> what was their favorite color. Right. I don't know if they liked music, if they didn't. Family life. Family life. And, and, um, and, and process that and really understand what this injury meant to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think... This is something that obviously comes with, you know, years of experience where the clinical stuff, you know, the um, he's not processing, you know, what the range of motion and MMT or what technique I'm going to use. You know, he's really looking at the person. He, he, he has all those tools, but he's, mm. he's, he's trying to assess who's in front of you. Right. Now, if that, that's critical in physical therapy, but going back to strength training, mm-hmm. same concept on specificity. So you have a top-level jiu-jitsu guy, uh, top-level, uh, a black belt jiu-jitsu, and, and are you going to explain to him how this deadlift is going to help his uh, arm bar? Probably you should stay clear, mm-hmm. unless you're you know, that well-versed. Stay clear of the jiu-jitsu stuff. You focus on what you know. Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, strength. Strength. So <clears throat> moving on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so there are <coughs> trainers who don't um, – don't believe in strength resistance resistance training which is interesting so they just do more like um build you know i I mentioned this individual before he he runs the functional patterns um website and and company like his first name is nadi uh anyways but uh he he just uses uh, it's very interesting He, he uses all this um quote, functional movement patterns to train the individual. And he has a, ho- a lot of high-level athletes. He's got wrestlers, baseball players, tennis players, and he's got um, people who he certifies. They're all over the country. I think his home base right now is in Hawaii, was in Seattle, and before that was in San Diego. And um, they they utilize a lot of cable movement a lot of rotation, a lot of single arm movement. And what's fascinating to me is because the first time I ever seen movements like that back in 2003 was Paul Check. Did he use a, was that machine Kaiser? Or that? He did use one of those Kaiser pneumatic pump yes, yes, things. Yes, I remember that was. A... And if, if anyone who's listening doesn't know what that is, it's imagine a cable tower that's not uh, u- using the plates for the resistance. So you're not, you know, selecting, you know, 20 pounds from a plate. You're actually, the resistance is a pneumatic pump. So that means you could do speed work and it's going to immediately 
uh, reload. Reload, yeah. So it's really cool. So Paul Check used to do these incredible exercises. I don't remember what he called them, but um, you could easily Google it if you look up Paul Check cable exercises. A lot of rotational movement, single arm movement, but it it has heavy influence mar- from martial arts. It looks like a punch. He's yes. doing like a punch and a pull. Kind, so kind of like a push-pull situation. Exactly. And and I think a lot of trainers right now, they, they're doing this too. But um, the functional patterns guy and the functional patterns trainers, they're doing it to a really organized system. Uh, and it's fascinating to watch because they're huge on, you know, uh, they, there's there's two sides of it when I see it. There's this gigantic fear-mongering that they do. So they, they're huge posture people. So they'll mm-hmm. say, like, if you don't have this posture, you're definitely going to hurt any disc and all these other things. So I don't agree with that, but I really like their exercise selection. I, mm-hmm. I, I love it because I can see where they come from in that sense where we're stuck in these very linear patterns, squats, deadlifts, snatches, cleans, and we don't have this element of strength and rotation and how our, our spines can move how our knees can tolerate compression and rotation, how our shoulders can tolerate overhead movement, stuff like that. And they use tools like Indian clubs, kettlebells, um, and obviously the, the cable columns like we were mentioning before. Um, but, yeah, so they, they don't strictly use resistance training per se, but they'll use movement, they'll load up that movement, and then they'll load up the speed of the movement. So that's the, that seems to be the – I have not taken any certifications through this or, or – have any because he has a lot of online stuff i haven't purchased any online material but i've just seen the videos uh and that's what i can gather from it so it's, yeah. it's interesting it's interesting what you just said about <clears throat> linear versus rotational i mean i remember starting out in pt school <clears throat> well not even pre pre pt school volunteering and training and volunteering and practices and thinking all right these are the safe exercises and most of the safe exercises were very linear. Mm. Um, they didn't, you know, they were posture, you know, posture first and then move. And, and you know, 15 years later, you think, like, when the hell is anybody standing like that? When are you standing? <laughs> when are you standing in front of a mirror, of, you like know, perfectly balanced? Yeah. Per- <laughs> da Vinci, Never. you're doing a curl. Um, yes, it's probably a nice place to start if you have no frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Um, but the body has three major rotational centers, your ankles, hips, shoulders, mm-hmm. and then the spine being another large one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, they, you know, if you don't train them to rotate, they and not that they won't rotate, but they're not going to... They'll adapt to that lack of. The lack of, right. And I, I've seen trainers taking the, quote, safe route and saying, all right, we're just going to leg press to 90, we're going to do bench press to 90, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to do shoulder press to 90. And these are very basic movements that if um, if we're taken, I don't know, in a half kneeling position or taken through a full range of motion or taken just buckets, you know, pistol squats. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, there's so many ways to kind of go around it. But I think that Fitness has taken it to the other edge. Now, I was talking about 15 years ago being safe with this 90-90. Mm-hmm. This 90 degrees was a very repetitive pattern, I remember. 90 like the, at the knees? Yeah, and... 90 at the knees, 90 mm-hmm. at the hips, 90 at the shoulders. Mm-hmm. It was always, night. you know, everything was this. But how crazy. I mean, is it like a box, literally. It is. The box workout. It's very arbitrary, too, because, like, obviously we would know. Well, there's, there's a lot of people talking about knee position and stuff like that now, so... Yeah. Uh, don't bring your knees over the toes. Your your knees are going to explode. But 
just 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 come to class, man. Yeah. See, what, see, see what that, <laughs> that look looks like. I um. I definitely I, I would credit Lee for putting me onto this, but with between kettlebells and training with a couple of guys at Catalyst, which is a pretty cool place to train, mm-hmm. um, that both you know both owners are well versed in Olympic lifting and jujitsu and and fight and uh, Muay Thai. Anyway, take having a um, a balanced approach to this and having linear movements that are loaded, but also having rotational movements and playing with tempo and playing with rep ranges and playing with uh, loading. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, things have changed so... Things have gotten much more... I think on two ends have gotten sophisticated in a good way. Yeah. Um, and then <clears throat> off off the off the wall <laughs> to the other where, yes, you know, it's okay to do some bucket squats, but do you want to do, I don't know, 150 wall balls? I'll right. use an example. Mm-hmm. Um do you want to do 25 power cleans? So then it's not power anymore. Now you're doing, you know, I don't know. It's power endurance. Power endurance. Uh, but um, but anyway, I, I don't want to go on a tangent here, but the specificity, <laughs> we're all about tangents. This I like, think we should label we should just, tangents. It's, it's not a few good videos anymore. It's called the tangential experience yes, with Lee and yes. Aaron. Based on that damn picture, I think we're gonna change it. We might just change it up. Um, oh man, I don't God. know. I gotta, I gotta think about what I'm. I gotta show you, just to go a little off topic here. No one will know what we're talking about. That's fine. But I'm gonna show you what I sent so yeah. you could help me out. I want to see it. All right. Uh, yes. Uh, so um, I, I don't know. I wanted to talk about this. I'm so curious to hear what you, you, um, you think about this. Okay. So. There's this awesome documentary that I saw a while back. It's called Riding Giants, and it, it really sparked this um, uh, conundrum in my head, at least. So, uh, do you ever heard of Riding Giants? No. Okay. So, no. Riding Giants. If anyone uh, hasn't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's about big wave surfing. So, they give the story about who or how big oh, wave surfing man. came about. Who who are the pioneers? I know that guy though. He's Laird amazing. Hamilton. He's a he's a beast, man. Yeah. So he's uh, his, his story is fascinating to me because he's like natural athlete. Uh, I believe he was born in Hawaii. Um, it's been a while since I've seen the documentary, but so he was one of the pioneers of this. And so if you don't know what big wave surfing is, is technically when you're, I think it's changed a little bit at this point, but you have, the waves are so big and the, uh, area is usually pretty violent. You have to be assisted by, uh, like a jet ski. And so they have to pick you up, tow you out, and then you just basically catch the gigantic wave that's look, look like a 20, 30 feet. Oh, more than that. They're way up there, man. They're it's just nuts. like they're like the size of buildings and they're going down. Like they're t- we're talking like really big waves. Like like oh. th- it would be dangerous for, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger to go up there and then like, get this wave. <laughs> he, he would freak out. <laughs> Turn around. <laughs> it is too big for me. Oh. But um it was it, it was really cool. So anyway, so he was being interviewed and they were asking him, um, you know, do you see this as like an athletic sport in the future? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And then he went off on a little rant how it really bothers him, like for him to be labeled as an athlete where let's say he named somebody in the golf or, uh, world as an athlete. He's like, every time he goes out in the wave, the risk of him dying is very high versus someone goes out and plays 18 holes of golf. 
the risk of them dying is very low. And I, I even though that's it's like one perspective, it's an, it's an extreme one, but still, <laughs> it, it's yeah. But it, it fascinates me because I do think there has to be a very definition. This all goes back to language, and it's funny how it connects to what we've been talking about. It, it, language does something to our brains, and we do not even think. We say like blah 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 is a golf athlete, and then. Blah, blah, blah is a UFC athlete. But we're using the same term, but that they're really not the same term. No, so very different. <laughs> my, my thing is, and I, don't, I, I, I guarantee you some smarter individual has come up with like a really good system or at least suggested a system, but I think we should change it, not to take away the, the name athlete, but maybe have a grading system. Oh, yeah, we're, we're <laughs> jaded on this. I know where this is coming from. <laughs> we, we are very jaded. I am I, very I, jaded. Well, I, well, I recall. <laughs> I recall clearly. We know it now, now it's all making sense. It's all coming back. It's making sense. I hate to say that word based on uh, <laughs> meetings we arrived at. But, yes, uh, yeah, no, not all athletes are considered equal. Right, um, yeah. And, and, you know, I guess... I want to Google. We should look up the word athlete. Oh, that's a good. I'll do it. Let's check that. A lot faster than me, brother. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get that in twenty minutes. But yeah, so no, you know, like as Lee just made the example of a a golf um, athlete and an MMA athlete. um, Yeah, so this is a perfect example. It's such a simplistic thing. A person who is proficient in sports. And other forms of physical exercise. So, all right, so we so that <laughs> as like a, I am not an English major, obviously, but as a, someone who's trying to d- decipher language, a person who is proficient in sports. Okay, how do you define sports? Yeah, how do you well, define proficient? Exactly. I mean, a five-year-old could be proficient in basketball, I guess. Right. <laughs> and other forms of physical exercise. So, how do you define physical exercise? So these these are things like I, I I do believe you can rate it on the uh, let's say level of skill sure like we're talking about like professional athletes versus amateur versus recreational but then uh, what the Laird Hamilton was talking about how about the level of danger risk risk, risk yeah of of you can have an analyst I, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who do this for a living, they'll analyze the risk of an activity in terms of statistics that have already been taken. And I'm sure you can compile a number, 0 to 10. Everyone likes 0 to 10. Why not use 0 to 10? 10 being like the highest risk, like you jump off. Like going to the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Like that. Zero being nothing. Uh, But yeah, I'm sure you could come up with like, and then from 5 to eight they'll be like an athlete versus <laughs> one to four it would be uh remedial just <laughs> i don't know someone who's just doing activity i don't know activity players activity uh, players I, I don't know but anyway so i, I just thought that was interesting because I, I do think it needs to change we, we keep talking about how things have changed exercises have changed i think this needs to change because I think as we evolve in different sports, other things start to get introduced. Like nobody has, not, not, not nobody, the general public, if they're not trained in martial arts, they have a very limited view of the UFC, uh, combat sports, MMA. So they really dismiss it. I remember when we did that um, little presentation about jujitsu, 
I think the majority of the why we got the response the way we did was because not because they hate jujitsu is more like they dismiss it as something that's not really relevant to movement and sport. No, because they, they haven't experienced it themselves. Um, exactly. I, I think even myself included, uh, prior to jujitsu, I, I would maybe watch a little MMA, little sp- sparringly MMA. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I used to see boxing. I mean, pro, quote, pro, WWE wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't really watch too much combat stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but... After, you know, my short span in jiu-jitsu here, almost coming up on a year, I have a whole different appreciation for how these athletes or fighters uh, move and, and what it what entails. And not to diminish any other sport either. You no, know, no. I don't, I don't want to, like, for instance, watching, I don't know, five minutes of the NBA game the other day. Oh, those guys are incredible. Uh, wh- NBA I players. Mean, you got, I don't know how, how big this guy is. Um, LeBron? LeBron, well, he's he's a tall. I think he's like six five something. Six, maybe he's a beast. Yeah, right? he is. But he moves like a ballerina. Yeah. He move. He's so fluid. I mean, watching elite, and again, going into language, what is an elite athlete? Let, let's just you guys know what I'm talking about. Pro <laughs> athletes to our NBA, um, baseball, eh, um, football, uh, pro at um, MMA fighters. Look how I, we're amazed because that's what we do. I'm amazed at how the, the, the harmony of movement. Yeah, the no, harm- I, and I, I, I would say, uh, I guess to contribute to the definition is like not only the level of risk, but let's say matching skill with, um, well, complexity of skill with the uh, implementation of that movement. Uh, you know, but. What I'm trying to say is, like, let's say a baseball player, when a pitcher throws a 90-mile-an-hour fastball and uh, the hitter is able to hit it out of the park, the amount of power that's behind that swing and the coordination is ridiculous. So that element of power should be incorporated into that element of, or sorry, that definition of athlete. Of athlete. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, going back to how things have changed with strength training, um, fitness and i guess sports mm-hmm. uh most of the domains that we talk about put a lot of yeah, when questioned or interviewed about hey how did you prepare for this fight they always kind of go back to training right mm-hmm. whether it's we'll use conor mcgregor right mm-hmm. um <laughs> controversial figure very fun <laughs> to watch but uh didn't he doesn't he work with uh portal yeah he's a big Ido portal guy so um and people you know in the fighting world kind of made fun of it like what is he doing yeah, they did yeah, they, they, they definitely they, uh I, even the boxing world right before the mayweather fight yeah, they yeah, were yeah. retweeting like what the fuck is he <laughs> doing this is yeah i mean listen that was a very cool that, that was, was awesome inter- that was yeah. i mean to see someone that is no you know not i mean he's a pro- fighter for sure but playing around with foot position i mean doing non-traditional stuff he was getting mayweather with a lot of i've watched a lot of mayweather fights up until that point including the pacquiao mayweather fight and the hits that mcgregor was getting on mayweather he had never got hit like that before and even against uh some other really big power people who were in boxing he was definitely surprised, and he was also more aggressive. You know, Mayweather had a very terrible thing he said afterwards, but I'm not going to repeat it. But it, uh, Mayweather was more aggressive with um, McGregor than he was with anybody else. 
and people talk about be. that. He, he, he kind of had to be. You know, I, he, I thought he, that was significant. And he lasted till round what? Eleven? No, I, round eight, ten. I don't listen. That I don't was remember. one of the best boxing matches I've seen a in long a long time. time. Right? Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I, I don't watch much, but Same. again, the the um, watching these guys, watching how training has seeped into athleticism, yeah. right? Taking someone's you know, a lot of these athletes that we're discussing have definitely have a level of innate athleticism, mm-hmm. but obviously through training, uh, the skill of whatever sport they're playing. But again, what we're seeing now is strength training really, you know, strength training making a difference for better or worse, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think there was a, an incident, I don't know, within 10 years ago of baseball players straining their hand. I think it was the Mets or the Yankees or. One Where they had a lot of injuries in the beginning. A lot of injuries. That was the Yankees. Do you know that story? No. This oh is my it. God, it's hilarious. What, what was, what because was it, it was when we were both trainers, and I think I sent you the story when it happened. But um, so the N- New York Yankees, they always had this one strength and conditioning guy, and he was very experienced. He was a little older. Something happened. He left, and then before this season, they hired like a really young, like. I'm going to call him an entertainer because I'm sure he talked a bunch. That's why he got into the position he was. I know who it is, too. And, yeah, so he he headed up the entire program. And what he did was drastic. He went in there, and these are professional athletes, mind you. They At this point, they know a lot about strength training and about their bodies. He started taking things away from their program. Like, he was taking away, like, stretch bands. He was taking away <laughs> these other things. And so then... What do you think that was doing to the athlete's routine and brain and nervous system? That was like, oh, I'm not sure about this. So, But in addition, they weren't used to it, but it showed true when they started the season. There was like six hamstring injuries within the first couple of games. <laughs> and it was just like one, and big guys, like important players too. And so they immediately, you know, after the media got hold of like, who is this guy? And so who I think it was Joe uh Tory is that his name? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the manager at the time. He immediately fired him. He got him out. And then I think they brought someone in more experienced. And that guy was like, you know, when you work with – he said it out loud. He's like, when you work with professional athletes, you can't take things away. You add things to their program that might help them. But you there's an element of routine and superstition and stuff like that. You have to keep that in. It, it goes beyond – Regular convention, you just said. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a whole it's a whole different level that I, I know by hearsay. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a perfect example of uh, training protocols gone wild. You know, yeah, gone wild, gone too far, man. Um, longevity, longevity. Oh yeah. So I wanted to uh, talk about GSP. I'm a huge fan of George St. Pierre. You know who he yes, is, obviously. Yes, yes, um, And he stretched out next to him. That's about his. Yeah, <laughs> which is awesome. I mean, that's most the real thing ever. He trains at Henzo's, and then we see him there. We're like, oh my god, it's GSP. Um, super nice guy. Seemingly yeah, super nice guy. Definitely. And um, he recently had just came back after a four-year layoff, and he won his fight against Michael Bisping. And some experts argue he looked like one of his best fights. He looked really good. His technique. Now, people, uh, this is not anything new, but he, people have talked about his training methods. He continuously trains. Like, he's always doing new activities. His new thing now, or at least he's been doing for a couple of years, is uh, taking gymnastics classes. And um, he, he's a kind of a perfect example of how you can, a, a, as you age, you can continue to improve in your in your skill and your sport 
but you do have to be consistent. So like the biggest um, culprit of losing your skill, your strength, and your health, I think, is large layoffs without any activity. So he obviously trains uh, for fights and things like that in an intense training camp, but it, those training camps aren't like the newest thing he was doing in a couple of years. Like he was doing strength training still. He was doing jujitsu. He was doing, uh, I think, taekwondo for a while. Definitely, he has, he has a striking coach, so he incorporates Muay Thai kickboxing and everything. So, but the key is is consistent training. So, aging athletes, uh, people who want to have longevity in anything, and obviously we're biased towards jujitsu, but. You have to keep moving and engage in new things. Like, at least for myself, I try every year to essentially do something new. It started in 2014, um, kettlebell certification, great, okay. And now I'm going to go on to um, barbell training. I'll, I'll work up my, my deadlifts and my squats for a year. And then got into Muay Thai, and then got next year I got into jiu-jitsu and so on and so forth. So every year trying to do something new. And really challenging yourself. And you can even go back to the new things that you started and then challenge a new weight or something or challenge a new race or competition. I think that's um, what Lee's saying. I definitely participate in the last, I guess, six or eight years. And the carryover to other things in my life has been exponential because I think as, I mean, all of us, you know, we should be trying new skill acquisition at any age is, is critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some older gentlemen that I, that I, um, work with that are 80 years old and they have much busier social calendars than myself, but mm. you know, they're always either going to a new show, traveling. I mean, the, uh, going to a cooking class, you know, they're doing very novel things. And I think, part of their health at 80 years old and still working a four or five four to five day week mm. um, part of their kind of success and longevity really is diversity of experience and what Lee's talking about also is taking up different movement practices I mean as as individuals we all should do that but as a physical therapist I think it's critical mm. in understanding um, different patient populations yeah maybe you know you may not see a gymnast but, you know, understanding different moving practices, you, you look at someone walking and that's child's play compared to escaping a sweaty person from Mount. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's uh, so true. Yeah, I, and it's interesting you mentioned, it, obviously, this is all supported by research now. We know now there is a large suggestion of engaging in physical activity as you age will fend off things like Alzheimer's and other things that will affect the brain and the nervous system. And there's no surprise. Like, think about, you know, there's such a silly cliche, oh, your brain's a muscle. Okay, well, think about a little bit more complex than that. Think about your brain is a very advanced piece of tissue that can mold and mend in the way that you want it to mold and mend. But you do have to stimulate it in such a way. So if you sit around and... uh, Look on social media all day long like I do. <laughs> You're not going to mold them. It's not going to expand that much. That's not really challenging for it. It's actually... It's probably going to prune a lot of things. It's because you're you're giving it all these things that did not require any work. Now, contrast that with 
going into a gym and doing a movement that you've never done before. And then you have to engage not only your body, but you have to listen to verbal cues. You have to coordinate those verbal cues physically. Then you have to coordinate the movement. And then you add on weight and load. Then you have to coordinate the movement, consider the verbal cues, have the load there, perform the movement with skill and safety, and then you have to breathe. So like all those things, imagine what the brain's doing. The brain is like, oh my God, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And then it starts to form all these new things. And then you get adjusted. Then you adapt. Okay. So now how do you get it to do it again? You have to continue to uh, challenge it. And there's just various ways you could do it. And so I think that's super important. And not for, like you said, for physical therapists, for sure, that as soon as we graduated and we passed our boards, we took on a responsibility to become, quote, experts and clinicians in our field. And I think as a clinician, that should be high experimentation with yourself. Like you should, you should use yourself a- at the least as something as a learning tool for your career because you will learn so much about how the body will adapt, not adapt, get injured, recover from injury with yourself, and you'll be able to work with patients a lot better. That that That's a key thing. We cannot emphasize it enough. Yeah, I mean, being on the other side of the fence is important as a you know fitness professional, um, being trained by someone else, taking mm-hmm. a class guided by someone else, uh, let's say with jujitsu, right? Just learning from an instructor and having that class format. I mean, it's um, I, again, we're biased. I think we're, you know, we've uh, we're very biased. We've bought into the <laughs> lifelong, <laughs> lifelong learner, right? I mean, uh, from a yeah, I think from both of us from an early age, we've constantly kind of tried to seek this uh, information. Right. But um, you know, part of this longevity is is uh, challenge. You know, it, it's whether it's intellectual challenge, definitely physical challenge. You know, getting getting out of your comfort zone is critical. Yeah, uh, I'm pulling up this graph I, I sent Eric a little while back. This guy, oh, the yes, uh, yes, yes. so I don't know where this graph came from, and I, I grabbed it. Of course, guess where I got it from? I got it from Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's see how many times you said that this podcast. Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag critter. Um, but this graph is is t- absolutely true. We've already talked about it a bunch, but um, r- right now Eric and I are in a phase of our career where we know enough to know that we're we're pretty dumb right. with this stuff. And so this is a more intelligent way of saying it. So like there's a, um, and we could post this on our so-called show notes, um, but there is an X, Y axis uh, in the Y axis. You've got knowledge, so going for from no knowledge to extreme knowledge, and then on the x-axis, you've got expertise, so zero expertise all the way up to extreme. And on the bottom, the variables are like beginner, uh, what's called the beginner beginner zone, the hazard zone, and the expert zone. So it's a funny graph. So there's when you're a beginner, you know very little, and you have low expertise, and basically you're in the I know nothing phase, right? So then you have start to have a little bit more experience, a little bit more expertise, and you're, quote, in the hazard zone, and you're in the I am the expert phase. But uh, as the graph shows, how, you, how much you think you know is really high, but how much you actually know is not that much more than you knew in the beginning. So that's why it's dangerous. And that, I, I referenced that exactly uh, why that's dangerous before, and that unfortunately happens quite a bit in our profession. 
And then, of course, you go to the, quote, expert phase, but I don't think I'm an expert, but I, and, you know, I think I speak for Eric, too, but, like, the, we're, we're working on this right now, but we know that there's a lot of information out there that we are compiling and, and trying to apply. But, uh, so the expertise is, is longer, but now the, the part where you say how much I think I know is lower, and then how much you actually know is higher, and then how much I realize there that I need to know is way up there. So that's kind of where we are right now in the sense that... This is perfect, though. I mean, yeah. this, this, uh, this graph is a perfect illustration of, yeah, of what, what we see uh, out in the clinical world. Um, mm -hmm. Even in fitness, I would say in fitness is the same, yeah. same thing. I think what... It, this graph is perfect because it's very um, general. They don't give you timelines or information, but this is a great, great illustration on um, kind of uh, knowledge acquisition and one's perception of um, what they're actually. What, what, what are we talking about? Right. Uh, and I think as a beginner, you don't even realize how much you don't know. Right. Um, and I and I think that goes hand in hand what we're saying about remaining active yourself. So like. The fact that we remain active ourselves, we engage in new things, we, quote, empty our cup all the time and try to learn as much as we can. We learn how challenging these things are, and that gives us perspective on when we watch people move or we hear our patients say, like, oh, I do this activity. Yeah, well, I, I'm on a bike. I ride the bike <laughs> for 15 minutes three times a day when I watch the news, and it, it feels good. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> And that's that's right. fine, but you might want to expand it, you know, because to help is the reason Get why those they hand be, weights out. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> Start squatting, <clears throat> maybe do some breathing, but yeah. Right. Um, so longevity. Scroll down. Let's see. Thank I th you. Thanks. Um, <laughs> social media. <laughs> we're, we're, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I wanted <laughs> to know. I didn't know. I didn't know what we were. were the, the, where we were for that one. I was what I was thinking when I wrote that was there's a lot of learning going on. Well, there's a lot. I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of resources right now. Go on YouTube. You can Google and YouTube anything. So quote YouTube University. Everyone talks about it, and so I always I find it interesting when people are learning complex things on YouTube um, or other video sources where. They might need to have some assistance, some professional instruction, but it's not really. Some trainers, client might have injuries. Uh, don't know where that was, but kettlebells put for performance. We tapped on that a bit. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, a, as a quick thing about why kettle, why people do kettlebells, like we mentioned cyclists before to increase their wattage. So with a, let's, let's take the um, – uh, staple of a kettlebell program, which would be the kettlebell swing, right? Yes. Kettlebell swing, it it reinforces the eccentric posterior chain of the hips, the back, um, and also works on your posture, coordinates movement with breathing, all those things. And that has been shown, that, that really strong eccentric explosion has been shown to have a huge carryover in almost any sport. So Definitely jumping sport, definitely running sport. Um, when you talk about cycling, you talk about power. And if you want to strictly define power, we were talking about this a little bit when we did our presentation to uh, CrossFit Gantry, but defining strength, power um, are, are very important mathematically. So if you want to talk about strength, it's basically work times distance. 
And so that work can be a measurement of the weight, the distance, the amount of how the, sorry, the the weight has been moved. So like a bench press is the simplest example, 225 on the bar, you, you bring it down to your chest, bring it back up, you just measure the distance between how much it moved and then you times that by the, the weight. So that'd be simple definition of strength. So the person who's stronger can do heavier weight, simple as that. Right. Past the distance. Past the distance, <laughs> same distance. And then you can influence things like, you know, weight category, stuff like that, what powerlifters do. Um, power is a little bit more complex, but it's going to be strength over time. So it's always an element of time. So you're going to have work times distance divided by the time. So that's why when you talk about Olympic weightlifting, a snatch can only, a barbell snatch can only happen is if you, uh, if you move that weight at a certain speed. Of course, you have to have the good form, but if someone tries to move the same weight without the speed, they're essentially not going to get that movement. Is there a consistent, so um, let's say a 135-pound snatch. Yep. In theory, it should be moving to get it up at a certain at always the same speed to something. I, I mean, I, I, that's a good question. I'm not a. They have a seller, I, I've seen a guy in the gym in, in Velocity mm-hmm. that had an accelerometer. Ah, yeah, he's probably measuring and his speed. It was yeah, and and I overheard. I was like, damn, that's that's crazy. How yeah. They, so they, I, I don't know what the. I, I'm definitely not a, a an yeah, expert on right. that, but the. But, uh, that's interesting, but, but they again, want it as fast as they can get it. Exactly. Exactly. With good form. So, I mean, obviously, the, I think if anyone has never tried to do, let's say, an overhead squat, which is not a snatch, but it's an example of how complex a snatch could be, then try it with a dowel. Try to keep your arms over your head and then imagine a really heavy weight being over your head as you do a deep, deep squat. And you talk about knees over toes, all this other stuff. But um, it's it's pretty incredible. The skill it takes to do it is so high. Um, I learned that the hard way, unfortunately, but um, mm. through CrossFit, which was a good one of my experiments of um, for about a year and a half, two years, and it was it was you know at first you look at it and it's like ah oh, I could bring that bar over my head, <laughs> but yeah, timing, speed, breath work, bracing, mm-hmm. head position, foot position. I mean, it's it's quite a complex task, and I luckily will have him as a as a. Um, as a guest, yeah, um, a gentleman from uh, Jay Hachatorian from CrossFit Gandry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, luckily I had a lot of good uh, instructors there, but it, it was, you know, I wouldn't even say that I was proficient at it. I mean, I was getting there <laughs> before I made a jump. But um, long story short is, you know, the Olympic lifting, it, it's it's a skill. Very big skill. So, yeah, when you look at those parameters and you want to improve, let's say, power, then you are, for kettlebell training, you're doing both. So you're doing, you could choose how heavy you want the weight and you have the distance and then you have to move the bell at a certain speed. Obviously, the shape of the bell allows you to do the swing. You can't essentially do a swing with a dumbbell. You could, but you'd have to really manipulate the grip and stuff like that. But a kettlebell's, yeah, a kettlebell is really efficient at that. That's why... It's shaped the way it is because you could do all these great ballistic The Russians. Words. The, Russian. <laughs> the Russian, Russian design, man. Oh, man, it's awesome. I, one of the coolest videos, if you want to Google a really cool video, is um, you see Pavel, and he's in a factory, and it's where the kettlebells are made. Oh, 
and it's just, it looks like he looks like he's in a like a post apocalyptic movie, and he's like, "Hello, this is Pavel, and I'm in the <laughs> kettlebell uh, manufacturing industry, and this is where real men work, and all this other stuff." It was so cool. And I was like, "There's like fire in the background, and people got like those masks on." Oh, and, that's t- oh, that's t- t- so cool. Well, if anybody hasn't heard uh, Pavel, uh, he's awesome. I don't know how he says his last name. Uh, me neither. I, I don't want to butcher let's it. Say, let's say Pavel. <laughs> Uh, I think Tim Ferriss uh, has interviewed him, and I, yeah. I don't know if Joe Rogan has. He hasn't. No, I I'm think surprised. he should get him on, he man. He should like, get him on. He talks about it a lot, and it's so funny when he talks about it. He's like, yeah, dude, just do the five reps and uh, you know, these long breaks. Of, he speaks a lot about it. He definitely he is a... Um, He's a, a convert. A, yeah, he, he loves kettlebells. Yeah. But uh, Pavel, good good stuff. It is. So those were the terms... Yeah, you know that was it really. That was really it. So with the swing, it really it, it it's the most efficient way to stimulate the nervous system to work on things like power, and you can even improve strength. So there's there's two main categories of exercise with kettlebells: is ballistics and grinds. The grinds are like squats, presses, get-ups, all those things, and that really helps improve strength. Now, the coolest thing, as Eric was mentioning before, is that even though you're not doing things to absolute fatigue and failure, you still get way strong. Like at my, my first three months of kettlebell training were the strongest I've ever been any time. Like even when I was a teenager and doing all this stupid barbell work, like bench press and like preacher curls and all that bullshit. Oh, my God. And, and leg extensions. Leg extensions. And I remember when we tried squats one time. I had, like, 225, and I dipped, like, a quarter of the way down. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> I, like, lifted so much. But, uh, I recall. I yeah, recall that. It was crazy. But anyway, so it's it's pretty cool. It, it's probably the fastest way, if you want to improve your power, improve your strength, Without having to go crazy with the skill acquisition, because uh, obviously, like a, doing a barbell snatch with heavy weight, you're going to improve your power. But if you want to learn how to do like a safe barbell snatch, maybe prepare six months to a year to be able to do that. <laughs> like if, if you've never done it before, you have to work on your shoulder mobility, your hip mobility, thoracic mobility, everything. So I stole, by the way, a little aside, mm. Lee. We're going back to social media. Uh, Twitter, Lee, no Instagram on this one. Maybe Twitter too. You might have you might have blanketed it. Lee had a a good post on a quick workout he did a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. The quickie, the quickie. Carolina, my wife, uh, she was like, "Look at Lee's workout. Should I do this?" And I was like, "Yeah, but you don't know how to do a getup." I stole it yesterday. I performed your workout. Nice lighter weight, Lee. I probably have about. About 30 or 40, 40 pounds maybe on mm-hmm. Lee, and I used the lighter bell. That's and right. I was like, fuck. It was, was hard, like, right? Yeah, man. The the um, oh, man. the squats were fine, but fourth set, I, I was like, shit, my legs are a little, because I'm usually mm-hmm. I'm usually at a lower rep range. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used a 24 kilogram. Mm-hmm. Nice. I, I freestyled. I threw in one, uh, two pull ups on each round. Nice. And then I did kettle, the swings with 28. Um, I did 10, 10 by 10 mm-hmm. every minute on the minute. But again, that that workout, uh, Lee's quickie workout, check it out on Instagram, yeah. Twitter, Facebook. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Lee's, Lee's uh, workout, it took, I, I warmed up for about 15 minutes, you know, FRC, mobility. Mm-hmm. And it took me about 25 minutes, 30. I took a little rest on the last couple of, you just went. Yeah, so the whole goal was it was supposed to be under fifteen minutes. Oh man, it took me twenty five, brother. It took me twenty. So I was the the ten by ten. I did in ten minutes, but I think 
the other you did the 15 minutes with the swings no oh, so i right. so the only the the it was um get up one and one press one and one and then 10 squats each round so that was one round and you do five rounds these strict keep, press or push press strict, strict press, press. Yeah. Lisa Beast, man. <laughs> no. I thought it was a push press too, and I, no. I, I did a sing. I, I was doing singles, and I was like, "Did he do a push press?" Um, anyway, sorry for the tangent. No, it was it was good. I, it, it was a good workout. <laughs> Check it out. And most kettlebell workouts are like that, so it's. it's and good. I left gas in the tank. Yeah, I I felt actually invigorated. Uh, I did this in the middle of my day, and. Um, yeah, I was I was back into the office and I, I was like, wow, this is perfect. I I had to train today in jujitsu. Mm-hmm. My legs were a little sore due to some sleep restrictions I had, <laughs> but uh, aside from that, it, it was it allowed me to train today without feeling like I was compromised. And so, that and that's key. That's like a, a quote a small thing, but that's gigantic when it comes to nervous system adaptation. So like you've you you stimulated enough to challenge it and make it change and then it had enough time to recover before you did the next uh session you know which, oh yeah, which was the, a smaller guy attempting to choke me <laughs> <laughs> uh but no it's good it's cool so we're gonna wrap i think we're gonna wrap it up all right so as dave Chappelle said we're gonna wrap it up oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right Hugo physio signing uh, off all right thank you for listening Thank you for listening to A Few Good Physios. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Follow us each week while we interview guests and have clinical commentary. 